Hello and welcome to the latest Sounds of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Baker. So if you don't know who Dan is, Dan is an absolute legend of strength and conditioning with over 30 years of experience in the trade. He's worked with such a huge range of different people from Brisbane Broncos all the way through to 14-year-old divers. And that makes him the perfect person today to discuss how you can avoid key gym mistakes in your physical training. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Dan onto the show. So Dan, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me, Matthew. No worries, mate. Thank you very much for joining us. So you was a quick introduction for the one or maybe two people who don't know who you are. Um, Dr. Dan Baker, I have a PhD in uh, sports science, and but... Um, I never really worked as a sports scientist. I'm a strength conditioning coach. So I worked at the Brisbane Broncos rugby league team for about 19 years. And I worked with other athletes in different sports, of rugby union, the Wallabies, uh, soccer, netball, uh, powerlifting, uh, diving, you know, all sorts of different sports across the previous uh, last 30 or so years. So, but now I'm just doing uh, lecturing and strength conditioning and uh, courses for the ASCA, strength strength conditioning. Association, so that that's my uh, real job now. Absolutely excellent, mate. And I don't think it's a, an exaggeration to call you a strength and conditioning legend. And with that in mind, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you about the mistakes that you think athletes make. You've got thirty years experience. You've done all of the um, the, the coaching uh, education that that people can can think of, and. I'm really interested to, to see what you think that athletes are doing wrong when it comes to gym-based training. So can we kick mm. off with like the, th- yeah, the third biggest mistake that you think athletes will make when they get into the gym? Third biggest? Do that one yeah, then we'll, go, we'll go up to number one. Then, then people oh. have got something to work towards, right? Yeah. Then they'll hang around for the end of it. Otherwise, they're just like, that. Nah, I don't want to go. Well, the third biggest one is not, probably not gym-based, but uh, depending on the sport, just not aerobically fit or fast enough, depending on their sport. Uh, you know, because that stuff just basically, especially aerobic fitness, that's just discipline and hard work. So no one wants to work hard now. They want you know, a quick solution off Instagram or something like that. And you now what supplement could get me there or what drug can get me there? It's like aerobic fitness, mate. It, it, it's just hard work. It's as boring as it <laughs> but it's hard. And you just got to do it. So, you know, one of the things I always say to athletes, whether it's, aerobic fitness or gym base, the only place a success comes before work is in the dictionary. So work. <laughs> you, know, you want to have a success and, work. And with, with that in mind then, what should athletes be doing, right? So um, let's say you, they want to improve their aerobic fitness. Work, work is fine, but there are certain ways to go about it which are potentially yeah. more intelligent than other ways. So how, yeah. can, how can athletes go about doing that in the most intelligent way possible? Measure your max aerobic speed. You don't need to go to a lab. For most athletes in a field-based sports, whether it's soccer, rugby, field hockey, 1.6 kilometers, four times around athletics track. Go as hard as you can, get a time, divide that time into 1,600 meters. So if you, if you did uh, six minutes, 360 seconds, so 1,600 divided by 360, that gives you your time in meters per second. Once you have that time, do at least eight minutes of training a week by interval training at or above that speed. Those eight minutes maintains your level, extra two minutes for every 1% improvement you want. So if you want to improve 
your aerobic MAS score by 5% across an eight-week pre-season, you've got to spend about 18 minutes a week above your 100% MAS score. So if it's 4.4 meters per second, so then you might do 30 seconds work at 4.4 meters per second, 30 seconds rest. So make sure they all add up across the week to getting at least 18 minutes. But in saying that, a specific speed is more effective and that is 120% MAS. 15 seconds work, 15 seconds rest. If you had to do just one drill, and you don't, you should do more than just this one drill. But if you only had time for one drill in a week, do 15 seconds of work, 120% MAS, 15 seconds rest, and go for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. Build up from there. And normally six minutes or eight minutes will do you for the first week. But if you build up to ten minutes and one set, you're golden. Uh, and then you can do another four minute set later in the week. There's your aerobic work done in 14 minutes or two eight-minute sets, of which in an eight-minute set is only four minutes of work. There's you know, 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off. So you know, two eight-minute sets is eight minutes of work in a week. That maintains you in an in-season. So in a pre-season, do an extra set, three sets, four sets. <laughs> an improvement. Oh, oh, how long did that take? I don't have time to do 20 minutes of training in a week, but I want to be a late professional soccer player. Yeah. <laughs> Put the ball away and get fit. Then bring the ball back and see how you beat your opponents to the ball and how you have better passing because you're getting to the ball with less opposition from the player. So yeah, everyone wants to do skill. That's great. Just get a bigger edge and get the ball quicker than your opponent. That's even better. <laughs> Absolutely excellent. So like the, the general recommendations then in that sense are get your maximum aerobic speed start producing some kind of MAS and split that across the week. So you could do that in one big block or you could do that maybe in two or three individual yeah. blocks. Yeah. Um, so it's with the, yeah. it's, it's like, it, yeah, just after the warm up, right? Like, or you could do it, maybe it's a top up at the end of the session, but yeah, like, it's, exactly. yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't seem too difficult. No, no. So we know in a game, you're only getting two or three minutes in a soccer game. So, you know, you might do just do one set in season. If you'll play the full uh, 90 minutes, if you're a bench player, okay, well, let's do two two sets on, on on our big day, match day minus three or something. And that that's enough for you. And other players should do one set on match day minus three or whenever their big day is, you know, in the season. So, yeah, it's easy. Absolutely excellent. And mistake number two then. So we've covered aerobic. Yeah. What's the next one? Uh, in the gym, everyone thinks they're a physio now. They've got to do this wacky injury prevention type training of various things. Now, we need to do that, some of that stuff. It's important. I'm not saying don't do Copenhagen's, don't do Nordics. I do them, but I don't spend four hours doing them, you know, like and every other wacky exercise. You know, do the things, but do the smallest effective dose. Same as I just mentioned with the, the aerobic training, find out what is the smallest effective dose uh, for you as a person or for your athletes and say, hey, we need to do Nordics. But what's the smallest effective dose? Well, when we first start, it's about two sets of four to five reps. And once you're in good shape, it's about one set. Now, I know that because the guy in there at the Nord board used to be in my powerlifting club, and they've done all the, uh, done all the uh, and used to be in my weight division, which compete against each other, and they've done all the research, and that's what he says. He says, provided you're doing some Romanian, some other multi-joint stuff, and you're already in good shape, for example, from a Nordic, one set of four is enough. 
is all you need in a week once you're in good shape. Same thing if we can find other exercises and keep, you know, it might be some other exercise, it might be two sets of 15. Whatever is the most effective dose for the exercise, effective minimum dose, do the minimum, especially in season. And how, how do people go about working out what the minimum effective dose is? Because it sounds, it sounds obvious to do a minimum amount of work and not too much, but how do you know what that might be? Uh, are you getting stronger and staying injury free? <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to measure it. Well, you know, are you getting stronger across everything? I mean, if you keep getting groin injuries and you can't do your MAS training or your squat training, you're not getting, uh, you're not playing. So that there's an in, you know, if you're not doing Copenhagen's or something and you're getting groin injuries, well then maybe it's uh, one set twice a week initially because it, it overloads you. And then you might get down to the point where I do two sets on one day of the week because now I can run a bit more and do change of direction. That's taking a bit out of me on a hard day where we've got lots of D-cells. So, you know, again, are you staying injury-free and are you competing? And if you can do that, you might be close to the right dose. But if you keep getting a niggling injury that keeps reoccurring, then we've got to find what dose where that doesn't occur and doesn't detract from your other training type thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, same thing with Nordics or Copenhagen's. If we did too much of them, then we carry that delayed onset muscle soreness over our change of direction training on the field, and we may injure ourselves there. We say, oh, I injured myself in the field, maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe you are strong enough, you're just still carrying that eccentric fatigue into that session. So it's, you know, we, we've got to find a little bit of uh, evidence, or, or it, it takes a bit of experience, and this is where a coach can be good in saying, uh, you know, most of our team, we find this is, works effectively, this dose, but, you know, we'll try a little bit more here or a little bit less. If the problem keeps occurring, you keep getting a calf strain or groin strain or hamstring strain, we've got to find what is the dose of these smaller exercises that keep you uh, injury-free. And, and same with human mobility work and anything, you know, or any amount of training. What is the, you know, don't major in the minor things. Do them. Yeah. Do them in the smallest effective dose for you or that athlete. And with that in mind, then that's how it sounds a lot like that's just wasting time and effort, right? So, yeah. like, how much time do you think that athletes should be spending in the gym? Because I, obviously, you see a lot of people spending like two plus hours, loads of foam rolling, loads of all, all of those things, which are good things, but maybe not in the doses that you've mentioned. Like, <laughs> how how much time should be people should people be spending in the gym then? Uh, when I train at the Brisbane Broncos, <laughs> we had no session go over an hour ever, ever. <laughs> And that's in pre-season. It was like an hour uh, from arsehole to breakfast time. So from the start of warm-up to warm-down would be an hour, and that's a long session. A lot of them would be like 50 or 55 minutes. Uh, could be longer on lower body day because we actually do a bit more of the activation and, and uh, prehab exercises in the warm-up. Um, so it might be 55 on lower body day and 45 to 50 on upper body day. That's doing four gym sessions a week to two upper, two lower. Uh, in season, it's the same thing. It would only be 55 minutes on uh, the big day and on the power day, 45 minutes, 48 minutes, something like that. So yeah, those are big athletes, right? They're, they're not they're not um, small human beings, I imagine. No, no, they're, they're big silverback gorillas, all of them. You know, like yeah, you talk about the smallest rugby player is 
Wayne Annarell, they're about 87 kilos, and that's a tiny one, you know. They're the ones you call <laughs> G-strings. <laughs> so they, oh, he'll still look good in a G-string. I've got a real player yet. <laughs> no, no, and, guys, you know, like half packs and that. Uh, so the small, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the big ones, the average body weight of an NRL player is uh, across the squad is about 98 kilos. So this guy's 115 through to, you know, 87. But 97 is about the average, 97, 98. Right. So they're uh, they're not messing around, but then that's a, a fairly minimum effective dose then um, with yeah. 45 to an hour. Yeah. 45 excellent, 45 excellent. So uh, the number one then, because we've worked our way up and we wanted to save the, <laughs> the good stuff for at least the, the middle end of the podcast, because otherwise people are just going to switch off after the first one. Um, so <laughs> what is the, the, the number one mistake, do you reckon, in the gym? Well, it, it ties into that previous one, they're just not strong enough. Because so many people are influenced by social media now that social media is really good for showing people doing a really big set of squats and deadlifts and or cleans. And I, I look at that, I think it's great, it's inspirational. We're showing a good mobility or rehab exercise and that's great. But they don't show you how to program. Social media doesn't show you how to program. That's a, you need to do a course and have a mentor and help you with those things. So a lot of athletes now uh, just have a uh, what I call a cross-sessional exposure to strength. They don't understand develop over a long time. They're not strong enough, you know, in, in basic exercises. So we know there's a lot of data now from research that shows us the correlation or relationship between certain gym exercises and performance, either in the sport or in fact as associated with the sport. So for example, there's a study done on a, in the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research on academy soccer players from Germany, over 100 players from 13 through the first division, and it looked at the correlation between change in squat strength by back and front and change in sprint speed and change in direction in the soccer players. And it found that the squat strength highly correlated with sprint speed and change of direction in the soccer players. And we see the same result in rugby, we see the same result in softball, uh, we see the same result for jumping. Um, so forth. So you think, okay, well, what do I have to do in soccer? I have to sprint, change direction, and jump. Hmm, what, what should I do then? Get fucking strong in the squat, you silly pricks. You know, that'll help you get fast, help you change direction, and help you jump. So that takes care of that. And then we get strong in Nordics and Copenhagen's. That takes care of a lot of other things. Boom. But no, we're all just standing on a BOSU ball and doing shit like that. Oh, for God's sake, you know, just get strong first. That takes tick so many boxes and you know we, we look at then in, if we look at rugby you know there's a, a guy Michael Sprans who works at the Brisbane Broncos now strength coach he did his PhD looking at factors affecting, affecting tackle and contact and he found well the, what's the biggest correlation to effective contact squat oh what a surprise and then second one was bench press oh surprise again upper body strength related to hitting someone hard Third one was a pull-up strength. If you wrap the ball and pull the guy down to the ground, that type of tackle, pull-up strength. So what am I holy trinity for play, training rugby players? Well, they always were those anyhow, but we, we put them in. I'm halfway home. We found team selections also based on power clean, from hang uh, scores, jump squat scores, and bench press scores, um, uh, bench press speed scores, and jump squat speed scores with heavy weights. So there's my six exercises that I test. Squat, bench press, pull up, 
strength, not like as many reps as body weight. We're whacking weight on the body. Um, power clean, one RM, and measuring velocity uh, with heavy jump squats and heavy bench press throws in a Smith machine. Certain weights, you know, like 100K jump squats, 80K jump squats. So those factors relate to success. So train to be strong in the exercises that research has shown relate to success. We look at paddling speed or swimming speed, it's a pull-up. Who would have thought really a pull like that, which maybe is pulling through water, would relate to pulling through water? But yet people are doing all this other bullshit. Just get strong in things that apply to your sport or uh, that better performance in your sport do good at or that relate to things in your sport like running, jumping, so we know what causes improvements in jumping, running, change of direction. I just mentioned a few of them. There's a few other exercises that, that help as well. You know, glute bridges, uh, so on that help uh, in sprint speed, acceleration, and a few other things. So get strong, really strong in those exercises that relate to success in your sport or the fact, physical factors that cause success in your sport. Physical factors like running, jumping, change direction, or pulling, or tackling, or hitting, or throwing a ball. You know, find, find a strength conditioning coach who understands that, can read research, and say, okay, these are the factors in the gym that relate to success, throwing a ball, or throwing a punch, for example, and things like that. So get strong in how, how strong do people need to be? Because obviously per sport is going to differ, but yeah. you're saying get strong, brilliant, like yeah. relative to body weight, absolute scores, 200 kilo squat, what are we looking at? Not relative to the sport and the level that you aspire to. So if you <laughs> just want to be a good cyclist as a, as a triathlete, you don't need to be as strong as the Dutch or British sprint track team in cycling, where you know they're all squatting 210 or something to men, you know, 210, 215. And, and the rest. <laughs> Yeah, that's the average. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I remember I remember spotting one of the Dutch guys when I was an intern, and I was looking at him like, "I'm not going to help me. <laughs> I'm just a twig. It's not going to work." <laughs> that's right. We, we know that, that that's the main driver of success. But the you know, if you look at the two best cycling track teams in the world, it's Britain and the Netherlands, and we know that both their programs are driven on being stronger in the squat. <laughs> and, and, yeah. So they're successful, of course, of that. They're not standing on a BOSU ball going, well, if the bike gets a bit wobbly, my BOSU ball training will help me. It's not going to help jack shit. Push that <laughs> harder. So yep. you know, it depends on the sport. But then if we look at, say, uh, when I work with springboard diving and that um, and, and platform diving, you don't have to be as strong. There we use the squat to get stronger to make you jump higher. So, you know, as long as you get a bit stronger in the squat, um, then you, your legs can make you jump higher. So it wasn't the idea of you know pushing a one RM. We never did one RM with those guys we, and girls. We never been below fives, uh, really. It was just get stronger for your body weight, and that will transport to you uh, jumping more. So you know we didn't really have figures as long as the jump was going up. It was fine. Their vertical jump and various jump tests we did with 20k, 40k, 60k, uh, sort of thing. So we had a sort of a a diminishing thing if your squat goes up 20%, your jump squat power might go up 10%, and your vertical jump related to diving might go up 5%. So it's just as long as we kept going like that. So, you know, but the idea was make them stronger in the divers so they could have more leg power for jumping, which they would convert into their dive related jumps. 
so but to get stronger. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it, it depends on the sport. So I, I don't like to give figures, and then people say, "Oh, Dan Baker said I have to be squatting two point two times body weight." Uh, well, that might be applied for a track and field sprinter, but it's very hard for uh, one hundred and ten kilogram uh, rugby male to be squatting more than 220 because the amount of running they do and the contact and the damage they get. So two times body weight for a rugby male is a great squat, but is it good enough for the Dutch and British cycling team? No, it's not. You know, the 80k cyclists who do 160, yawn, get out of here, mate. Go back to the provincial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the girls are doing more than that, mate. The ladies are doing more than that. So it depends on... Yeah, some, some of them are probably... Because, you know, we have that, it's, it's dividing by body mass is not fair to heavier athletes because uh, of the, of the uh, body mass is a cube function, uh, whereas uh, muscle strength related to cross-sectional area, which is a squared function, so a different function. So, uh, yeah, it, it depends on the, on the sport. So I, I, I would say get data from your sport and the level you aspire to. So, for example, if you want to play, if I, I use MAS and a weight instead of a strength. If you want to play top-level European soccer, you should have an MAS of around 4.8 metres per second to play, you know, in, in top European leagues. But if you just want to play with your friends in third division, a 4.2 is fine. It's the same thing as strength. Now, if you just want to cycle in a triathlete, you know, a triathlon, you know, once every two months, you don't need to in the, have the strength of a, a Dutch track cyclist. You just got to have enough to, you know, find yourself improving. So there's different levels for different sports, levels of strength for different sports and levels of competition that you aspire to. So I'm not going to say... Absolutely excellent. The Olympic level, you must be at it. If you're happy to play third division soccer or rugby or, uh, you know, have fun 10-pin bowling or floorball with your friends <laughs> on a Thursday night, okay, we'll just have it strong enough so you can enjoy the sport and probably have more involvements. We know if you're stronger and fitter, you have more involvements in these sports. So if you're doing that, having slightly more involvements than other people, you're getting what you want from this third division competition. You know, you're having fun with your friends and having more involvements. Okay, strong enough to do that? Good. If you're not enjoying the sport, not getting enough involvements, get a bit stronger or fitter and you'll enjoy it more. At third division. Awesome. So. <clears throat> When we um when we bring that all together, if you were to give any advice to, to athletes listening now, let's say sixteen to twenty year old athletes, um, they're they're listening, thinking, right, you know what, like, I've taken that all on board. But what's like the one piece of advice that you would give to athletes at that age if they want to get the most out of their physical performance? Yeah, fine. If the club, if you're in a club sport and they don't have a good strength and conditioning program. Ask them to get one. If not, you're going to have to find one in uh, the private world because it's worth it, uh, even for fun, just to enjoy your sport. But if you aspire to get to a higher level, to you know get to second division or third division and you're 16 or see where it gets you, then, then find a good strength conditioning coach because you know one, one that can take you to a level. It's not someone who, oh, he's got thousands of likes on Instagram. That's irrelevant. The coach has to have taken athletes on a journey from 16-year-olds to the level you aspire to or further. Can they do that? Can they take the 15 or 16-year-old boy or girl and 
take them to the level they aspire to, whether it's pro level or second division or county championships or something like that. So, you know, find a good strength conditioning coach. Absolutely excellent. So, Dan, massive thanks for your time and efforts today. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find a little bit more about you if they're looking for some more uh, Dan Baker in their lives? Uh, uh, not too many places. Um, I think on Instagram, <laughs> it's uh, Dan Baker Strength. But, you know, it's, uh, there's a few posts there. You can go back and read them all. I don't, I don't post that much lately. <laughs> like, I don't have Take tips. it easy, mate. I don't have good tits and ass. I know. I have to look at what I got. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say anything, but, yeah, I was disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I was beautiful, there'd be a lot more posts, mate, you know, but I'm not an expert <laughs> in that area. But, you know, uh, yeah, just Instagram, but, yeah. Absolute, excellent. Dan, massive thanks. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to speaking again soon. No worries. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Cheers, buddy. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Dan for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrown library of sports science courses, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.